Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the greatest generation Deep Space Nine. It's a Star Trek podcast. A couple of guys just a little bit embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. You know, it feels like when we started the Deep Space Nine part of Greatest Gen, (laughs) that it was like a brand new show we were getting. Yeah. And it would be years of work for us. Years. And having finally gotten to the seventh and final season of this show feels a little scary. I can't believe that the time has gone by so fast. I know. I mean, there's still a half a year left of of this fine program. Yeah. Nothing to sweat about at the moment. And then there's plenty of other Star Trek out there that has been so far left unturned. Yeah, no one's ever talked about any of the other Star Trek shows, so maybe we could do something with them. Yeah, maybe. We'll see. One thing that we got recently in the mail, Adam, is about the previous series in the Star Trek franchise of television programs, Star Trek The Next Generation. I'm familiar. You remember that? That's the original series for Friends of DeSoto. (laughs) That's what they call it. Yeah. Uh, But it's it's a board game, but it's got trivia, and there are like decks of cards in here. They have trivia questions, and I don't know how we would play a board game on this program, Adam, but I do know how to ask you trivia questions. Do you want to uh, try out a little TNG trivia throwback segment? I love it. Let's play a game. He's very interested in pitting his skill against yours. I'd like to see your Neuroflex tear him down a bit. My deductions should be treated with skepticism. Ready? Begin. I'll be TNG Whopper, and you'll be Ferris Bueller sticking your phone into my cradle. All right, so what we have here is a big ol' honkin' deck of cards. Looks like it. I believe they all have trivia questions on them. Jack tells me you got a great big deck. Um, Well, I don't know. I guess so. All right, I'm going to ask you some questions. This first one is from that episode where there was a guy who was the first officer... And they'd all lost their memories, and he was uh, insinuating himself into the crew below Captain Picard, but above Commander Riker. Executive Officer Commander Kieran McDuff. This was the episode that I famously experienced for the first time via radio because I was grounded. Do you remember this story? Right! Which was the ultimate way to experience this episode. (laughs) There's no reason anyone listening to this would know to do it this way. But if you haven't watched TNG and you decide to start, you should stop before getting to that episode and listen to it without seeing it. It's a trip. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've actually recently learned that a lot of people listen to our show just as audio, primarily. They're, like, missing out on the video aspect. That's insane to me. Yeah. That there's been the video feed the entire time. All the sight gags that they're missing out on. What have I been looking into if this hasn't been a camera? (laughs) All right, first trivia question. Where was the rescue shuttle hit when the Temerian ship fired on it? That's from the uh, Darmok and Jalad episode, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, you've got multiple choice answers here. Did it fire on A, the communications array, B, the port nacelle, or C, 
the starboard nacelle. I'm guessing between two nacelles and a communications array. Yeah. Oh, then it's got to be the communications array, right? Because they've got to be marooned on the planet together. Unfortunately, you're wrong. It was C, the starboard nacelle. The starboard nacelle has been rendered inoperable. That's all. This is a level one question. There are level two questions in this in this card. I know there is a brand of Star Trek nerd that remembers specific nacelles as targets <laughs> in certain circumstances. I'm just not that kind of nerd. Do you want to hear a, a level two question? Yeah, lay it on me. Picard realized the Temerian spoke in what form in Darmok? This is not a multiple choice. This yeah, you is... don't get multiple choice at level two. You just got to throw something out. It's it's like in metaphor. Like someone That's the answer. Disc- you got it. Really? <laughs> it was a long time ago. All right. I'm going to give you like two more questions. I'll All give right. you I'll give you another level one and another level two. Great. How's that sound? I love it. Who on the USS Enterprise was assigned to the task of figuring out the motives and language of the Temerians in Darmok? Was it A... Lieutenant Commander Data and Counselor Troy, B, Lieutenant Commander Data and Commander Riker, or C, Lieutenant Commander Data and Lieutenant Commander Geordi LaForge. I feel like if we're on if we're on the game show version, the television show of this board game, mm-hmm. the celebrity panelist that I clearly am at this point would riff on on the potential comedy answers of such a question. Sure, sure. Like, why wouldn't it be Guinan and Data? Like, wouldn't that be hilarious? Or, mm-hmm. uh, or Barkley. Barkley, famous for his ability to communicate <laughs> with people and Data. Right. This is going to really anger some people if I get it wrong. I feel a lot of pressure about this. <laughs> I, I think it's Troy and Data that were the team for this. You are correct. Further study it may be possible. Then do it. Deanna, help him. I want something by 0900 hours. Isn't that a sensible answer? Like a writerly team-up to solve this mystery would be would be the brain power of Data and the emotional power of Deanna Troy. Right. It's raw computational intelligence and emotional intelligence paired up. If Troy told Data to tap that thing on his neck. Do you think it's possible that Data could just take his head off <laughs> with, with the strength of the tapping? Yeah, uh, that's kind of a uh, unstoppable force, immovable object. <laughs> could God make something so big he couldn't move it himself kind of question? Like, think of how fast he could tap his own neck. <laughs> Data, you just want to do like rhythmic circles, okay? Yeah. You don't just want to hammer that thing. <laughs> <laughs> this is a question that I'm going to give you tiered points on the answer. So I'll ask the question and then I'll tell you uh, like what the tiers are. Okay. Um, the question is, who was Darmok? And uh, you can get a point for occupation and you can get five points for what planet Darmok was from. I feel like Darmok was an explorer. Darmok and Jalad were like on the ocean, right? But, we're, but Darmok... And Jalad, crucially, were not on the ocean together at the beginning. Hmm. Therein lying the import of the metaphor to Captain Dathan. So are you asking me for an occupation? Yeah, I'm asking you for an occupation and a home planet. I mean, is explorer an occupation? Is hunter an occupation? I think that's... Hunter it is. That's what I'm after, yeah. Okay, now for the big... The big cash prize. Can you okay. guess what planet Darmok was from? 
I don't even have a joke answer for this. <laughs> it's basically I, impossible. I uh, yeah, what's the answer? The planet is Chantil 3. Chantil 3? Man, that question's bullshit. <laughs> Darmok is the name of a mytho-historical hunter on Chantil 3. God damn it. I really wanted to get both of those right. <laughs> Hard I lo- stuff. I love that Darmok was the subject of the first card that we ever pulled out of this box. I mean, one of the most famous episodes of TNG, and I really, in public, just crap the bed on trivia. (laughs) You got most of the questions right, Adam. Let this be a lesson for (laughs) anyone who who wants a uh, a pseudo-celebrity to join their trivia team at a future Star Trek convention. Yeah. I might not be the right guy for that. <laughs> Though you and I are a, a great tag team and have been before at a Star Trek trivia at conventions. Yeah. I went to a Star Trek trivia night with Danny Baruela from the Max Fun home office and Ben Fritz. It's a hell of a combination. It was like a pub trivia night, and it was the first and only time I've ever done pub trivia. Because... You, like me, when you're ever at a pub and you hear someone turn on a PA system and, and announce that trivia is about to start, pay your check and you leave. <laughs> yeah. That has been my tradition in the past, but uh, we um, did pretty good. Like, we were in the upper five teams of the Star Trek trivia teams, and there was one guy who was there by himself with no one else who took the whole thing. He had every single answer. He ran the board on pub tri- on Star Trek pub trivia, and this was like across TOS up through J.J. Abrams films. Like everything was Just was in play. Ringer, and he fucking destroyified it. It was unbelievable. Well, that guy sounds like fun. <laughs> he came alone. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I respect anyone who uh, who goes to a bar alone. I'm I'm occasionally that guy, but I, but trivia alone is a totally different animal. I think that the thing about it is that like structured fun is really great for some people and not great for other people, and I think that that's why like pub trivia has not been a, a strong draw for me because structured fun is less fun to me than unstructured fun. Right. But it seems to me that it's like a group activity that you're get, getting involved with. I mean, and that is why on the worksheet, there is a place for you to enter all of the names of the people on your team. Yeah, that was what was so terrifying about this one guy who just sat there quietly. Was, was his team name his name? Like, you're supposed <laughs> yeah. to come up with fun names for yeah. your trivia team. Just Derek. <laughs> My improv team name is Chad. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Well, Adam, speaking of Chad, a country with a great big desert filled mm. with sand, do, do you want to get involved with the episode we came to review today? It's taken seven seasons to get a pivot quite that crisp. <laughs> yeah. As we go from Marin to Deep Space Nine season seven episode one it's called image in the sand do you realize how incredible this is (laughs) no of course you don't and we get a great big last time on ds9 package it's been it's been months since we've seen 
the season finale, we are reminded that kind of a lot happened in that episode. We've got Cisco leading the raid on Cardassia. We've got Pa Dukat killing Jadzia Dax. We've got the prophets leaving and turning all of their orbs black. And then uh, Ben Cisco uh, doing a little mid-career change. Yeah. Uh, going to go work in hospitality. <laughs> Taking a... Uh, as as a de-bearder of clams in the back of, of Cisco's restaurant. Pretty wild that, like, I can't imagine if you're, like, Supreme Allied Commander Europe in World War II, if you want to go take, like, a three-month break, they would just let you come back to it eventually. Right. We don't get any answers on that in this episode, but the idea that people are still walking around Deep Space Nine going, like, I wonder if Ben Sisko's ever going to come back. I mean, obviously the job is his if he wants it. I think Admiral Beltbuckle is a fucking cuck. Like, <laughs> like do you think Necheyev would have let Picard walk off the job just to go, like, find himself after a particularly hard day of work? Are those Valerian canopies? Admiral Necheyev. Well, the canopies in my ass. That's the Ritz cracker and chopped liver. <laughs> no, Necheyev was, does not fuck around the way Admiral Beltbuckle obviously does. Picard as Locutus killed thousands of people. And I think he took a week off afterwards to go <laughs> wrestle around in the mud on his vineyard. And then he was right back to it. Yeah. That guy's made a sturdy stuff. He didn't have the the spiritual catastrophe befall him that Ben Sisko did. But uh, yeah, the station is also having a strange spiritual reaction to what has, what has happened. Uh, we open with Kira and Odo standing on L2 of the promenade looking down at a, a bunch of people with red armbands praying outside the Bajoran shrine. Since it seems the prophets have abandoned them, they've uh, sort of formed a cult around the Pa-Wraiths, a uh, branch Pa-Wraithians, if mm -hmm. you will. I like the pivot from gentle religious monkish Bajorans to suddenly red armband evil <laughs> yeah. religious Bajorans totally. ha having cropped up. I think that's an interesting <laughs> development here. Yeah, here's a tip. If, you're, if your religion starts asking you to wear a red armband, <laughs> maybe think about a different religion. <laughs> Kira has been the beneficiary of a promotion. She is now Colonel Kira. Yeah. Which does not roll off the tongue the way Major Kira does. It's going to take some getting used to. Uh, also yeah. taking some getting used to is her, can I speak to the prophet's haircut? <laughs> <laughs> With two friendship bracelets uh, kind of woven into it. You know what I noticed? Her haircut in the pilot is very similar to the haircut she has yeah. here in season seven. It's like, I think basically like from a hair fashion standpoint like seven years earlier version of this haircut it's so hard to go full circle with a haircut yeah. whether whether you're an actor or just a person in the world how often do you go back seven years to a haircut that you've had previously never happens yeah so kira and oda are catching up on the upper level and uh they're sort of talking about Admiral Beltbuckle being on his way to the station and what it may mean for them. It, it's expected that it's not going to be any kind of news that they would want. Right. I mean, it's troubling times. Odo 
uncharacteristically is the voice of optimism in this scene mm-hmm. and uh, is counseling Colonel Kira not to lose hope. Odo has also grown out his hair in the, in the interim. <laughs> yeah. And a kind of an asymmetrical bob. <laughs> Still can't nail the face, but uh, <laughs> very plausible bob. I mean, it seems silly, but couples tend to start to look the same. And my ability to alter my own appearance, I figured I should take that as literally as possible. <laughs> It's about this time that the little D returns, and uh, this is uh, under the command of uh, Commander Worf. Worf is just going through a bad time at the moment. Dr. Bashir and Nug and Chief O'Brien are all aboard, and they're uh, they're all kind of wrung out from all of the escorting convoys that they've been doing. But uh, these uh, these self-stealing symbols aren't going to babysit themselves. It's a classic tired from work scene that I feel like we've gotten kind of a lot on DS9 in a way I feel like we never got on TNG. Yeah. When were we ever tired on the, on Star Trek The Next Generation? There was that one episode when they like couldn't get sleep. Like they they, they couldn't that they, one. Could, yeah. they couldn't get their REM cycles. When uh, Captain Picard and Worf and Beverly were turned into action heroes when Jellico was given the ship they were tired from training. Yeah. But there was never, like, the, boy, what a mission, huh? Oh, there should be a law against convoy duty lasting more than 10 days. Anyway, yeah. gonna go get some shut-eye. <laughs> but uh, it's been three months since Jadzia Dax has died, and everyone's looking at each other like, when is Worf gonna get over his dead wife? <laughs> it's been three months. What's wrong with him? It's like his wife dies, and he's still sad about it three months later? What's the equation, Ben? Like uh, when you're when you're with someone for how long? How long are you allowed to grieve mm. after they die before your coworkers uh, are allowed to openly wonder? I mean, there's a lot of uh, a lot of grief afoot. Uh, Worf is grieving, and uh, in a big way, Cisco is grieving. We cut to Cisco's restaurant where Ben is dressed as though he's working in the kitchen, but he's out in the dining room playing piano. Not much of a showman with his uh, public entertaining. Customers seem to like it. I think Uh, part of it is, like, he's wearing that big white Hanes beefy tee. (laughs) A a shirt that is famous mostly for being not that comfortable. (laughs) Yeah, got a bit of a bacon neck problem happening to it. He's like the dancer from the Dirty Vegas Days Go By video. Where where he he's been playing piano all day, yeah, like from seven in the morning until that evening, and he's like he's in a kind of trance, like playing piano marathon. Look, I'm worried too, but he's got something to work out. Best we leave him alone. I feel like if I was so depressed that I left work and went and lived with my family on earth, a paradise where nobody has to do anything to earn a living. I would not be getting up at the crack of fuck, you know, (laughs) I'd be sleeping in a little bit, getting up at 7am to sit down and start tinkling the ivories. Sounds like, sounds like an exacerbating action. Like he wants to be depressed. 
maybe uh, maybe today is a day I'll tinkle the ivories. Maybe I'll just deep-eared clams for 14 hours. <laughs> I mean, either one sounds great. Yeah. As he's playing, uh, his baseball sort of sort of magnetically finds its way to the edge of the piano and falls onto the floor. And when he reaches for it, he flashes into a profit vision. Yeah. His ball kind of falls into the sand. Let me get that for you. <laughs> he hears a voice from from under the sand that he tries to unearth. <laughs> who are you? I'm under here. I've been buried here for thousands of years. This is one of those fun, practical slash comp effects that is fun to think about doing, right? We've got a real actor and a real face buried in a sandbox, but we also have mask comping going on, and we've got to make the effect hang together between the two. It's yeah. fun. Yeah, it looks great. He, uh, yeah, he finds the face of a woman in the sand. It becomes his new mission from this point forward. He, he's not interested in clams anymore. He's yeah. interested in finding out who this is. She doesn't say anything. Like, he, he gets her the shroud off of her face, and she opens her eyes, and then he's back in the restaurant with, for some reason, Jake trying to snap him out of it. I think I feel like, for some reason, Jake will have seen this enough times at this point to not have his first question be, Dad, what's wrong? For some reason, Jake treats his dad's many profit visions as a brand new concept every time. <laughs> every single time. It's like, oh my God, what just happened? I'm beginning to think that for some reason, Jake is the one with the problem and it's not his dad. <laughs> <laughs> That's why he has to write everything down. He's got the mi- the memory yeah. of a goldfish. <laughs> he's he's the Sammy Jankus of Deep Space Nine. <laughs> After the theme Admiral Beltbuckle is on the scene, straining at the inside of his belt, <laughs> telling Kira that as leader of the station, she's just going to have to accept that a Senator Romulan is going to be setting up shop on the station with a bunch of other Roms to go along with them. And uh, this kind of flies in the face of what I thought the station was to, supposed to function like. I, I kind of thought the Bajorans ran the station and the federation had to ask permission for shit like this but belt buckle mandates that this is going to happen and kira is just going to have to eat it i came here as a courtesy to you this decision has already been made that's such a squishy concept it's it's a bajoran station except for it's got a federation name and it seems like the buck kind of stops with the federation but currently kira is the head of the station and reports to Admiral Beltbuckle. I think it says a lot that in the three months that he's been away, Kira has not redecorated the office at all. Yeah, still a bunch of Federation ship models on the on the uh, banquettes. I was remembering how I felt when Picard was gone and Jellicoe immediately decorated the ready room and how yeah. that made me feel and how in a subtle way, I understand how this tells us that Kira is expecting Cisco to walk through the doors anytime. Right. And I'm cool with that. I think that's the right move. But also, I would like to know how she would have decorated that office. Damn. So I feel like we're deprived yeah. of, that, of that idea, you know? She's got to have really complicated feelings about that office, given 
that the two predecessors she has had in it were the emissary of the prophets and the butcher of Bajor. I agree. There is a thread there that that is unpulled. Yeah. I think there are two or three episodes that could have happened before this one. Yeah, this this feels like a pretty crazy first ep of a season in that way. It doesn't feel like it's all totally picking up the stories that it left off with. It it uh it almost feels like it's kind of resetting the board in a way. Like Yeah. It it feels more like a first episode of season 1 in some ways. I, I typically like a kind of episode that just sort of drops you into a story and you're you're meant to tread some water and figure out where your pieces went between last season and this. Yeah. But um you know we are we are given that kind of story at the expense of a fairly interesting episode that we didn't get which was like did they transport the Dax symbiont back to Trill in a jar? <laughs> and then, like, what ha- like what was the process for that, for example? And what happened to Jadzia's body? And Did somebody have to roll like Riker and and have it in its in their belly for a while on the way? Right? Is there is there a temporary like uh, <laughs> when you don't pass the trill test? You know, maybe you can be a temp. Yeah, it's puff puff pass with the, when it comes to a trill symbiont. Speaking of uh, of substance abuse problems, uh, <laughs> back on Cardassia, Wayun and Damar are discussing the state of things, W slash R slash T, the war. And uh, according to them, uh, this still feels very winnable. They, they feel like they've got the enemy fleet sort of cornered. And, uh, you know, any excuse to drink is one that Damar will take. I'd offer you a glass, but I know how much you dislike Kanar. And... Uh, it's clear that he has been drinking on the job. And this is something that uh, inspires Wei-Yoon to do a bit of a soft intervention. Yeah. He takes a look at Damar and he's like, I'm beginning to think you like it too much. Damar, I, I look at you and I just see, I just see a lot of Cardassians who love you a lot. <laughs> Will you commit to going and getting help for your Kanar problem today? He's got a piece of yellow legal pad paper that he's written some thoughts down on. Demar does not believe he has a problem. And right now, I feel like celebrating. <laughs> he's getting so drunk, he's asking questions like, you ever wonder what happens inside a wormhole? <laughs> <laughs> and he's like continuing to slug him back. And Wayun's like giving him the look like, I am not drunk enough to be having this conversation. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, dude. We're just on a very different wavelength right now. Yeah. There's something kind of sad about somebody who's drunk often enough that people just openly talk about their problem in front of them. Yeah, and Damar's that guy, isn't he? Yeah. I wish I wish Damar had a little bit more of a legged bod, you know? I think that uh, he's he's risen to the top of Cardassian society, but he is not... He, he doesn't, like, carry himself like he's the boss, you know? He's been drinking a lot. I mean, leaders are often more sedentary. Yeah, I mean, uh, heavy lies the crown, obviously, but, like, have him have him lean forward for no reason, like an about to jump ski jumper. <laughs> yeah. yeah, really, really round out the image of Demar. Back on Earth, Cisco is trying to figure out who this lady was that he saw in the sand, and he's using the 24th century version of Face App 
to to do it. He's sort of uh, he's making like a like a police sketch of this lady with a great big red iPad. It's a lot like the create your own custom character tool on <laughs> like an EA Sports yeah. Tiger Woods video game 2009 scenario. <laughs> like here are your four pairs of eye shapes and yeah. your three hairstyles. <laughs> that always pisses me off in those design your own characters. Is that yeah. the mole, you, you you can never put the mole where you want it. It's not like there's only four possible places a mole could be. Yeah. I, if only I have, it were that easy. I have a prominent face mole, and I, I, I've never seen it represented in video <laughs> games. And I'm just calling on video game designers to think about representation a little bit more. This mole erasure has gone on for far too long, Ben. <laughs> it's wrong. You know what's weird? My father used to have the exact same mole, and then it got, like, precancerous, and he had to have it removed. You should probably have yours removed, then, if they're twin moles. Well, mine's not precancerous. Couldn't it eventually become precancerous? Yeah, but if it does, I could have it removed. In the meantime, I'm going to enjoy that shit. Yeah, the, the lesson being, enjoy your moles while you have them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You may not have them forever. Um, Jake comes in and sees what his dad is working on. And, uh, and he's like, oh, I know her. She's in a weird photo I have saved for some reason. Who is she? Well, why don't you ask Grandpa? Ask me what? Grandpa Cisco is fucking pissed. Yeah. You think, you think it might be it's because for some reason Jake has been rooting around in his things. But you come to realize that, that there is a, uh, there's a secret being covered up here. Yeah. And uh, what's great about Brock Peters is that what you get from him so often as Joe Cisco is like the I'm I'm Joe Cisco. I'm the kindly restaurant owner. I'm I'm like I'm the gentle grandpa. I'm telling you, you know, about how we spice the crawdads today. You know he has the alien trash of the galaxy gear in him. Yeah. And when he flips that switch, the storm clouds appear over his head and and it is it's like a totally different man. The opportunity here is to bring them to their needs. I love it. Um, yeah. You know, when I when for some reason Jake ran upstairs when he recognized the face, it really read to me as I'm going to like get a magazine from under my mattress, <laughs> and I just did not see the darkness of this scene coming. You know. Yeah, yeah. It really the uh, the pivot happens because of Brock Peters. It's great. Uh, yeah, he's great. Um, it's also like does not. Like, it doesn't look like a crappy Photoshop, which is something that mm -hmm. drives me fucking nuts. Like, so many movies yeah. and TV shows have an old photograph of a younger version of a character that looks so bad. Like, it is routinely not well done in Hollywood. And uh, this photo is great. He does not want to tell them who this lady is. She's no one at all. We kind of go from photograph to photograph here, Ben, because back on DS9, Worf is sleeping alone under his bearskin comforter with the framed wedding picture of he and Jadzia staring at him. And it's just impossible to jack it in these conditions. <laughs> it's clear that he hasn't had a good night's sleep in a long time. Yeah. So you do what you do when you can't get any sleep. You got to go to the hollow suites. Now that's a place uh, you can jack it safely. Yeah, and uh, and no no safer harbor for jacking than the lounge of Vic Fontaine. Worf is there to demand that he sing the song, and this is a moment. You could go in a lot of directions, right? 
Yeah. I expected the sound of a bagpipe being dropped down the stairs and the beginning bars of a Klingon opera happening. Like, how much fun would it be if yeah. the Vegas lounge musicians played Klingon opera and Vic Fontaine had to, like, strain his way through it? Vic Fontaine doesn't get Maloda as a request that often. Sure dime. Park it right there. That's what I'm saying, but you know the band's got to love it. Yeah. Like, just atonal screaming from he <laughs> and the band. Like, the organ from Goonies <laughs> playing. Like We, we like, got a lot of war fives in this episode, and it would have been fun to get them in this scene. Yeah, but it's like a, a very Vegas lounge song being played, and, it, and it's enough to make Worf clutch at the tablecloth. He's feeling his feelings. Not just clutch, but smash table. I feel like... To a certain person, that would be what the primary use for a hollow suite would be. Like, it would feel probably pretty good to just go into a smashing room and just tear it up. I've seen them do that on on my Real Housewives programs that I watch with my lovely wife. There are, like, places where you can go rent time in a room full of smashable objects and... Wow. And uh, it seems like a, a fad sort of akin to a an escape room where it's like, I can't even believe that this business exists, but uh, but people do it. Elsewhere on the station, the ROMs have moved in, and uh, you can tell they've done so because the first thing they do is put up their poster on the wall. <laughs> Classic, like, move-in day at the dorms for the ROMs. Already complaining about the accommodations. Yeah. This is Senator Kretak, and the actor who plays her, Megan Cole, also played a character in that episode of TNG, The Outcast, about the androgynous species of aliens. Oh, yeah. Her character was their head of state and took great umbrage with the fact that Riker was involved in a heterosexual relationship with one of their uh, members. Her voice is so unique and memorable to me that I wasn't sure where to place her. But yeah, like like her voice is uh, authoritative and yet friendly. It's a hell of a combination. Megan Cole, she could have a career in voice work. Yeah, there's a sibilance in her asses. We are concerned about our citizens. We take our obligations to them seriously. Soren is sick. That makes her kind of like, it, I don't know, like a big sister or aunt kind of sound to it. The Admiral and I have a good working relationship. I hope to have a similar one with you. And I don't know why that would be, but it feels like, you know she's playing chess, but but you also like want to like her. But Shiokshu could be playing chess against me, Kevin Uxbridge. <laughs> <laughs> Did somebody say siblings? (laughs) (laughs) To my knowledge, I have no siblings. (laughs) We only bring Kevin back for award shows. Yeah. Kamara, Kretak, and uh, Kira, uh, things start a little icy. You know, I I think Kira probably has some assumptions about what it will be like to work with a Romulan more regularly. Right. And uh, and it seems like the first impression that Kretak gives Kira is that maybe it won't be so bad. The possibilities are are uh, are good. These ROMs don't seem terrible. Back at Vic Fontaine's bar, Bashir and Quark 
survey the damage done by Worf. And they have, for some reason, have not just done the computer reset program thing. This scene drove me fucking nuts. (laughs) Like, of course just reset the program. A hollow mess is not a mess. What what am I supposed to do with all this broken glass? That doesn't really exist. (laughs) Quark is like cradling a a tiny lampshade grieving the destruction of the mini lamp yeah this is not like cleaning up the hollow hollow suite after commander riker's been in there this is a totally different situation this is not liquid destruction god it just it it made me so mad Worf has been this destructive before only it's been when he (laughs) de-evolved it's been since then that uh, he's done this much damage to a ship. Yeah, indeed. And uh, it's far more fixable this time. Like, it seems like they didn't care about the logic of the show. And and I think that there's a way to fix this, and it's like, we run this program all the time now because everybody likes Vic Fontaine and we need, like, continuity of memory for Vic or something like that. Like, I, I think there's a techno-babble solution to this scene, but as it stands, it just feels like a... A totally crazy scene to have in the episode at all because it also doesn't really seem to advance the plot like i think we can get C- bashir concerned about Worf's mental health without this scene i just don't i don't know why it's in there that's what i've been telling you yeah, i mean it remains to be seen whether or not this is a positive or a negative but it would appear to be that vic fontaine has broken the show yeah because either he's sort of gaslit everyone into accepting his magic powers to exist and they treat him differently than they've treated any other holographic projection or everyone of their own accord has has changed how they think about these things but you're right it's unmotivated in a way that is noticeable and distracting Back at Cisco's, uh, Grandpa Cisco is up late because uh, early bedtimes are for alien trash. Ben's up too, in in the way that I feel yeah. like you often are. Like when when your parents come over to stay with you, I'm I'm never quite <laughs> settled until I know that they're asleep. I I can relate to that. Um, I mean, nobody's settled around the Cisco household because uh, Joe Cisco has been extremely closed off about who mm-hmm. Desert Face is and um and Ben, you know, comes down and plops himself at the table with his dad and says like, "Listen, you got to you got to come clean. Who's who's this lady?" And uh turns out he had a secret different mom. This is huge. It's a little bit more complicated than that, Ben. I, I was trying to remember if we know anything about Cisco's quote-unquote real mom, the mom that he always thought was his I mom. I thought a lot about that myself, and I didn't want to spoil anything coming up, so I didn't really dig into it. It doesn't seem like someone that he refers to very often. Yeah, and I wonder if my lack of knowledge of that is intentional or what. Like, did they, did they not write anything about his mother or or did i just not notice the things that they wrote about his mother we get an interesting backstory here uh this is sarah cisco 
she was married to Grandpa Cisco for a time, and she disappeared right a year after Ben was born. Two years after and he was born. Ben Cisco's like, it seems pretty difficult to disappear, given that this is Earth in the 24th century. <laughs> Did you try to find her? Yeah. Evidently, Grandpa Cisco is so terrible at finding people that it took him three years to find out that she had moved to Australia to be a hollow photographer. Right. And uh, it was there that she died in a hovercraft accident, which is the reason why Grandpa Cisco <laughs> believes that hovercraft are the water sports trash of the galaxy. <laughs> He's not into the use of air envelopes to propel vehicles over water. There is a lot of ridiculous leading up to a conclusion that I found very real feeling, which was Grandpa Cisco didn't tell Ben any of this because he thought he would treat the mother he thought was his mother differently. Yeah. And he didn't want Ben Cisco to resent either him or or who he thought was his mom. He just wanted Ben Cisco to be raised in what he would believe was a normal household. Yeah, it was a hard conversation that he, you know, he was like, he always had an excuse why it wasn't the right time to have it. Like, oh, he's too young. Grandpa Zisco's like, I told you when you were one. And it just didn't sink in. <laughs> yeah. So you just, uh, you just looked back at me like I was talking nonsense. And this moment is, is kind of one of epiphany for Ben for Ben Cisco, he believes that maybe this is what he's back on Earth to do, to figure out who this woman was. On Deep Space Nine, Colonel Kira is wandering around the promenade and catches Senator Kretak playing a Jumja stick. And, uh, and they really bond over the fact that Jumja sticks are not good. <laughs> you just aren't going to look cool licking a stick-based confection. You know, like like the the hardest yeah. core Romulan with the biggest fucking bread box shoulders, like you're just not gonna fear them <laughs> if they're licking a Jumja stick. Jumja sticks are also so big. Yeah, has anyone ever gotten to the bottom of a Jumja stick? <laughs> the world may never know. <laughs> One, two, three. <laughs> I can't roll my tongue. I love the way they talk to each other in the scene because they're still kind of getting to know each other and I think want to like each other, but they are on such cautious footing. Their shoulders are squared to each other in such a way that it almost like it almost seems like they're both prepared for the other person to pull a knife or something like that. Yeah. And I really love the way that performance was done, that uh, we're trying to build a rapport, but we're both very uneasy with this circumstance. And uh, I think both actors do a great job with that. There's physical acting there. Yeah, it's it's very subtle. It's like deep subtext of the scene. Nana Visitor's been one of the great physical actors of the show, so it's, it's unsurprising that she would that she would be a part of this. But the other character in this scene is is doing it just as much. It's great. Yeah. In a different show set maybe 10 or 20 years later, you might predict that this is the beginning of a romance. Yeah, there's a, there's, there's a palpable tension in the air, right. and we often equate tension between characters with sexual tension. Right. Uh, there's, there's just kind of a throwaway thing here at the end of this scene. It's not a big deal. 
But if it's mm-hmm. not too much trouble, Colonel Kira, you know that that fourth moon of Bajor that no one's using, the one that's in that really like far off orbit. Would it be possible to just stick a Romulan hospital there for our wounded during the war? You know how bad this war's been. If we could just set up a hospital there, it would be great. I'll ask the council of ministers. I'd appreciate anything you can do. I mean, it's a very innocent question. You're holding a jump stick. I mean, yeah. There's no way this could. <laughs> you can't look sinister yeah. holding a jump stick and asking a question. Right. Right. <laughs> Nobody plays chess with a jump stick in one hand. But if if it were possible, the Romulans would be they. <laughs> in another area of the station, Bashir and O'Brien are conspiring to cheer up a wharf. And this is what we're, they're trying to figure out. Like, how do you get this guy out of his funk? It's been three months, guys. Get over <laughs> your dead wife, Worf. What the fuck? <laughs> O'Brien, in a very Chief O'Brien kind of way, is like, let's get him drunk. And so he gets a bottle yeah. of the good blood wine. What solves depression better than a depressant? <laughs> he uh, he talks his way into Worf's quarters and takes it to the dome. Cheers. Mm. This is fucking spectacular. Yeah. This is such a tease of a property that we should have had for six seasons before this. O'Brien and Worf should be great friends. Remember, what's his name? Uh, Lieutenant Barkley? They should, and we should see them fucking doing, like, super big friendship moves like this for each other. Like, my boy is fucking sick right now, and I'm going to go, like, I'm going to go get in his face until we can get to the bottom of how I can help him. It feels so right that it feels like an intentional move that the staff chose. Like, we can't have this show be too much like Star Trek The Next Generation. We need to separate the pairs that feel natural and integrate yeah. the the two cats, casts in a, in a specific way. And that just feels dishonest. Yeah, this felt like a really natural move and and I like that Bashir was not included in the in the plan like I like that Bashir walked O'Brien to the door and then made himself scarce yeah even Bashir knows that O'Brien and Worf should be better friends than they are <laughs> yeah morn 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 sweet morn 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 you hear buddy morn stop hammer time we just cut to Quark's bar where O'Brien is nursing a fucking major hangover. But he actually did get to the bottom of it. He found out what's eating Worf Rajenko. Yeah, it's the idea that Worf doesn't think Jadzia has gone to Stovacor, and no amount of screaming can make that possible. Because Jadzia did not eat the heart of her enemy, and she did not die on a battlefield in glory. I I loved like quark asking the question here because it was the question in my mind like doesn't being killed like in an attack kind of count yeah (laughs) that seems like like it wasn't a dishonorable death she was fucking murdered quark is also curious about whether or not stovacor is a place that jadzia wanted to go i feel like this is a question that people have for family members all the time you know, when the time comes. Yeah. Like, what kind of funeral are they going to be given? Well, I guess we're a Catholic family, but we didn't really go to church, so what's that going to look yeah. like? Like, it's it's awkward. Yeah, and then you do it, and the priest, like, says a bunch of stuff that doesn't feel true to the person. Yeah. 
and you're like, eh, that didn't feel right. <laughs> O'Brien's idea is that they appeal to Martok for help, and this feels like a great idea. Martok's going to know how to fix this. They're in the same house. Klingons can solve Klingon problems. Right. And uh, General Martok is, uh, is due tomorrow. Yeah. How convenient. Ben, pro or con? Mesh bar. <laughs> I, I think there are things that I would be interested to see how they work. W slash R slash T mesh bar. Because it solves the spilling problem, and Lord knows that's a concern for me. You know what? It, it both solves and doubles the spilling problem because you're wiping two surfaces if something spills. You're wiping the the overside and the underside of that mesh grate. I think what I would do is if I was the bar owner, I would have like a pressure washer mm. and at the end of service, everybody's out of the bar. I would just hit the whole top of the bar and, and I would design mesh bar mm-hmm. so that uh, the, like whatever's under it is sloped somewhat yeah. and then there there's like a channel where everything rolls t- to a drain and then when I pressure wash everything's going through the channel and down into the drain you can't pressure wash a regular bar I, you know I love the idea of a bar with a French drain yeah that needs to be this only works if people are not using currency that's small enough to fall through the mesh though very true yeah, you don't want your the grates in the mesh to be big enough to catch latinum. Well, cork might. Yeah. <laughs> He's got the latinum catcher in the in the pipes. He goes and just checks that once a week and fills his pockets. Out in the back of Cisco's, uh, Ben continues to clean the clams, while uh, Grandpa has found Sarah's necklace and the writing on the back of it is ancient Bajoran. That doesn't make any sense. Sarah wasn't Bajoran. Don't you know? All Bajoran artifacts with writing also have inner lives. (laughs) I've been in a shoebox for 50 years. It's been terribly boring, but it's no being buried under a Bajoran monastery for 30,000 years. That would be truly nightmarish. Do you know what it's like to almost be buried with a corpse? That was a close call. Could have been worse. I could have died in the blades of a hovercraft. Captain Sisko does the research, and uh, and it's it's referencing the orb of the emissary, a a heretofore unknown orb. This is a ninth orb. Yeah. What about that? What if it still exists? What if it's not dark like the others? These are questions that Ben Sisko has, and uh, his mission is becoming more specific. He's got to go back to where this woman was in the vision. He's got to answer these questions. That is planet Tyree. That's the, the desert planet of Tyree. We get just the briefest of scenes in the wardroom where there's a McLaughlin group. Issue one. They're counting the dead. It's one of those meetings. Like, you don't read the minutes of the last meeting. We know how many yeah. were dead then. We're reading off the names this time this is a friday right that's always a that's always friday <laughs> that uh, they post it, the dead it's a scene that's placed us in time specifically yeah. and uh as the losses keep piling up kretak has has grown grateful of the construction of this hospital it's been a, a great yeah. help she's like tjf am i right <laughs> long week <laughs> but we got the hospital built 
there's like that after the meeting scene like whenever the meeting's over you're like god thank god it's over (laughs) odo meets up with kira after and uh turns out odo's got some interesting intelligence uh about that hospital a a ship full of vulcans was denied entry to it and Evidence is that it's a hospital for, full of Romulan weapons. High concentrations of trilithium isotopes. Uh-oh. Yeah, Kira's like, she's trying to assume positive intent. It could also mean that's just what they construct hospitals out of on Romulans. <laughs> yeah. Torpedo casings. I mean, you see, uh, you see people, you know, building Starbucks out of shipping containers these days. Why can't right. Romulans build hospitals out of torpedo casings? I'll look into it. On the hollow suite, uh, Worf is practicing Batleth when Martok enters. It's like Worf is in the batting cage, and then Martok enters to take some cuts. Oh, God, I love it. Turn ice! Defend yourself, Worf! Yeah, it's great. Yeah, totally. You know that if you're like solo in the hollow suite swinging your batleth around, you've just got to be ready for there to be a batleth there to catch your batleth. Right. By surprise. Do you think when you're doing batleth in the hollow suite, you have to specifically try to make it sound like you're not sexing in there? <laughs> like all of the the grunting and the heavy breathing, like you're probably being overly dramatic to sell the idea that it's not weird sex stuff. It's just batleth. I don't think anybody that goes into the hollow suites can be prudish about that. I I think you go into the hollow suites knowing that people will assume that what you were doing was some nasty sex stuff. The baseline is sex for the hollow suite, for sure. Yeah. It's like that tubs business that operated in, in the university district that I lived in. Like, it was a place where you could use a tanning bed and, like, rent a hot tub. <laughs> but that's also where sex stuff was happening. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds about right. So there, the, the series of technicalities that have kept Jadzia out of Stovokor are one thing, but there's also a a loophole for getting somebody into Stovokor after their death, and that is do a big glorious battle in their honor. And uh, that is what O'Brien and Bashir have prevailed upon Martok to provide Worf with, is uh, get this dude into a battle. This this escorting Stembolt convoys shit it's not going to cut it. He's going to go have to battle his way through a thousand Jem'Hadar in order to get Jadzia across the death finish line. I love that we skip the scene where everyone's telling Martok what the deal is. Like, he yeah. goes right into the hollow suite. Uh, he knows what needs to happen for Jadzia. He knows the score. He knows the Stovo score. <laughs> And uh, and Worf gratefully accepts. Yeah. Back on Earth, Ben Sisko's taken out the trash, and uh, a Jawa shows up in the alley behind Sisko's and uh, pulls back his hood, and it's actually a uh, diminutive Bajoran who's there to tell Ben Sisko that he's never going to find the orb of the emissary. <laughs> The thing that telegraphs this moment is the music, right? It's a scene that starts with, I feel like, a what should be in the Federation rulebook. Do not bring seafood on a runabout. Like, Ben Sisko's talking about maybe bringing some clams on his mission. That might be fun. <laughs> Bad idea, Ben yeah. Sisko. Do not bring seafood on your runabout. Don't do it. It'd be like the time my dad 
drove me and my friends to the Live 105 summer concert at the Shoreline Amphitheater and uh, forgot that there was uh, a doggy bag full of leftover seafood from the night before in the trunk of our Volvo 240 station wagon. (laughs) And it sat in the sun all day in the parking lot while I saw like Green Day and the Red Hot Chili Peppers play. (laughs) And then we had to drive home, my dad, myself, and my two friends with all of the windows rolled down because it was so smelly. You just drive the car off of a cliff after that, right? There's no there's no selling a car in that condition. He had the upholstery shampooed like three times and the smell never came out. Yeah, it's done. It's done. <laughs> there is no amount of ozone machine operation that can save a car like that. It was essentially totaled by shrimp scampi. But it's it's like that, right? It's all fun and seafood games until the music turns and then the the knife is pulled and then it's not stabbing but slashing and there's something so much more visceral about seeing a belly being slashed at a couple of times than than seeing like, you know, the easy way to do it is the is the disappearing knife blade that compresses, you know, when you push it against something but i i had a reaction to seeing this that was reflexive and bad i wished we had gotten one more scene with this guy Mm -hmm. and what i would have done is cut the scene where uh where quark and bashir take a look at the like trashed hollow suite program and slot in a scene right at the beginning of the episode that goes unexplained until this point of this guy like praying in a star trek cave somewhere and maybe like you know being handed a a knife and putting on his cloak with some other bajorans and saying like you know what you must do maybe there's a scene with ben cisco in the back cleaning clams and this guy is in the restaurant and uh, he's just finished a, a, a big meal and he leaves mm-hmm. without paying oh yeah and that really yeah. catches grandpa cisco's attention like that guy's no good and that would explain why jake came around back to knock him on the head right right yeah uh, make sure that see if that guy's out uh, outside the restaurant somewhere sirak lofton is so big physically like when he drops this garbage bag on on this little Bajoran guy. I mean, the size disparity is is really pronounced here. It makes me wonder why they don't use him in more action scenes. Like, he, it seems like he moves around well physically. He yeah. is an imposing silhouette as a person. I yeah, think. and I like that kind of like like kid strength. Like he almost right. is like he's like new to his strength when he when he drops the. I, I, I don't know if it's like a sack of potatoes or something that he hits mm-hmm. the guy with, but he, he's like almost surprised by how well it works. It's just empty clamshells that sound like a, a sack of castanets. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so fortunately, they get Ben to the hospital. Is it fucked up that Grandpa Cisco doesn't go with? Like, Grandpa Cisco works his shift the next day at the restaurant when Ben Cisco <laughs> returns, as no. if Grandpa Cisco has to work his shift at the restaurant. Yeah, like, this restaurant doesn't make money or anything. It doesn't fucking matter. Go be with your son. He was stabbed. Today's special is Shrimp Creole. It's shocking to me. It makes me wonder if Grandpa Cisco is still holding the grudge about Sarah, 
and like how that whole thing was unearthed. Yeah. Anyways, the uh, the branch Paratheans are a menace, and uh, and shit is not going well between Ben Sisko and them. No. Back at Quarks, uh, O'Brien uh, has gone through that refractory period after you tie one on one night, and he's back in the mood to do a little drinking. <laughs> And he and Bashir are uh, having a toast to Worf's impending glorious combat. Yeah, without Worf. Worf's not there, but uh, but Bashir is going to be going with him. Yeah. But Bashir wants to be there to help. And uh, they're explaining this to Quark, who is incredulous. <laughs> this is the scene I was referring to earlier, where Quark asks if this is even something that Jadzia would want. And it raises such interesting interesting questions about like what a trill's end of life plan might be to the extent yeah. that it would be like are there trill wills <laughs> in a way that you and i would consider them like you have a host body that has things do you get rid of those things when you get your ankylosaur put into someone else do you want to start fresh yeah, we've heard that your debts are all vacated when your ankylosaur goes into somebody else. Yeah, but does is the same true of your of your possessions and and your relationships too are another thing that are kind of liquidated, right? Like you you no longer maintain your romantic relationships any longer. I don't know. Like I want to know more about this stuff, and this was the perfect opportunity during this changeover to experience what that might be like. Yeah. The other thing I didn't like about this scene was Quark's loose-ass lips. <laughs> like, fucking standing there in public going like, so what, the ship that Martok is commanding is going to go do a surprise attack on the shipyards that the... <laughs> like, yeah. don't don't have Quark know that. <laughs> yeah, that's not right. No. Admiral Beltbuckle and Kreetak are having a meeting when Kira walks in and says, this McLaughlin group is over bye bye <laughs> this is another scene of of like impotent belt buckle because he does not seem to have the authority to kick kira out let's try to stay calm i'm sure we can reach some sort of compromise not yeah. that kira would even accept it if that were requested of her kira knows about the situation on derna seven thousand plasma torpedoes are being stored there instead of uh injured patients it's not a good look and so there's kind of a standoff at this yeah. at this negotiating table. Remove the weapons or we will, Kira says. It's the Romulan torpedo crisis. She issues Kretak a Bajor ultimatum. Fuck yeah, Ben. <laughs> Fuck yeah. <laughs> that is exactly it. <laughs> this is great news for Wayun and Dumar. They, uh, they love hearing that things are fractured between the Bajorans and the Romulans. How do they know things so fast? They got eyes in, on every wall, you know? Is that table a founder in the wardroom? <laughs> oh, I'd be, boy. I'd be doing more sweeps if I were them. That would be really exciting in an episode of the McLaughlin Group if the coffee table <laughs> went gold. <laughs> Wei-Yoon is like, hey, this is good news, right? Camera whips over to Damar. Dunk. Cork gets pulled from from the canar. <laughs> like he's just ready at the any time there's anything close to good news, he's ready to drink. He's got he's he's replaced the gun in his holster with a bottle. 
quick draw yeah. fastest cork in the west <laughs> um the button on the episode is uh cisco coming downstairs and he's doing that thing when you're like going to the airport where you're like ah, i got this sport coat that i'm gonna need mm-hmm. and it does not go with what i'm wearing but i also don't want to wad it up and stick it in my suitcase because it's not going to look right when i get to you know my best friend's wedding two days from now so what i'm going to do <laughs> is i'm going to i'm going to I'm going to do t-shirt, jeans, sport coat on the, on the flight. And I'm going to look Classic. like a bit of a, I'm going to look like a bit of a doofus, but I, uh, I, I can't get this thing wrinkled. And, uh, it comes downstairs and, uh, Joe and for some reason, Jake are standing there and they've both got luggage over their shoulders. And he's like, Hey, what gives? We're coming with you, dad. We love you very much because we're your family and we're going to go with you to find out who Sandface lady is. Operation Desert Face. He's got uh, <laughs> two other participants. Yeah. And uh, speaking of faces, Adam, there's one in the window. Yeah. Grandpa Cisco's like, I know you're not going to believe this because we have never closed. Ever, ever. Like, my son was stabbed yesterday <laughs> and was in the hospital, and I didn't close for that, but I've closed for this. This is going to be unbelievable to you. I don't even have a closed sign. That's how unusual the situation is. <laughs> yeah, we had to write it on a piece of cardboard and tape it in the window. Uh, this this woman says she's not there to eat. She is there to introduce herself to Ben mm-hmm. Sisko. And she does. It's me. Dax. Is she going on Operation Desert Face 2? It's a cut to black. We can only assume. She's, I mean, she's got luggage over her shoulder, so she might as well. She's got that round Federation luggage that I love. They're not, yeah. She's not wearing a soft cider like, like the Cisco's. No, she's just got her, her little tray with all her medals, one book from Captain Picard, and that's it. That's the only, that's the only stuff she needs to, to leave. Grandpa Cisco doesn't, doesn't like the round luggage, the alien trash of travel. Do you like this episode, Ben? You really want to do this here now? Okay, okay, let's do it. I have kind of mixed feelings about this episode. There's a lot I like in it, but like it felt like a bunch of C stories. Mm. It like none of the stories felt like the A story to me, and I I kind of kept hoping one would would resolve into being like this is the most important thing happening in this episode. But I guess it's the profit stuff. Like I guess nominally that's it, but. It didn't seem like that big a deal, and it didn't seem like they spent that much time on it. So it seemed it seemed like three C stories looking for an A story. I think that might be the reason that I did like it. I read that the writer and showrunner of this episode very specifically wanted to do a quiet, contemplative season premiere episode in a way that had not been done before on either TNG or Deep Space Nine. And I like it for what they tried to do, like, because I think they succeeded in that. And I'm going to try to withhold criticism on what it isn't, because it was not trying to be anything besides this. But the proof is in the runtime of of this episode for us, Ben. Like, I think it made me think a lot about all of the stuff that maybe had been scribbled in the margins that never made the show, that never made the story up until now. And that stuff is really interesting and fun to talk about. But I don't think that's why you make an episode of television. No. So on on the other hand, I feel like maybe there were some missed opportunities. 
I, I think it sets the table for an exciting seventh season of the show at the very least. And I guess that's uh that's the that's the minimum you want to hope for. That's all you want. Do you want to see if we have any priority one messages, my friend? Oh, I'm setting my table for that. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first priority one message is of a promotional nature. Shit, dog. The message goes like this. Dear Ben and Adam, I'm many drinks in, and I can't (laughs) figure out how this thing works. That's how you start a promotional message. (laughs) I love you guys. If I'm paying for this anyway, then I'll just say to all of you other friends of DeSoto, and then in parentheses, I grew up real close to the street in Chatsworth. I want to handle all of your intellectual property needs, not just your patents, but your trademarks and copyrights too. I probably should mention that I am a registered patent attorney. I guess email me at or not. That's cool too. Oh wow! So this is a this is a drunk person who yeah. is advertising their professional services and also leaving their email address. So. There's another symptom of of their drunkenness. The call to action is call me with your intellectual property needs. There is no phone number here. It's just the email address. Uh, Well, here's the thing. I think I'm a little worried that a intellectual property and patent attorney is leaving a message like this on our show. It it seems fraught. Should we bleep out the the email address for their protection? (laughs) Whoever edits this is going to have to decide. If you really want the email address of a drunk uh, intellectual property and patent attorney, email drunkshimoda at gmail.com, and maybe we'll pass it on to you there. How's that? That, that way there's a, there's a screening yeah. going on. Well, we're going to be the bouncers for, uh, for, this, for this friend of DeSoto. Who we're going to do this person Near solid. DeSoto Street in Chatsworth. Yeah. Uh, anytime anyone for some reason converts a personal p1 to a professional p1 just to support us more i i i love that so thanks i i love it too and i and if this uh you know i don't want to stand as a as a roadblock for this person getting more business uh so i don't know what to do i've i'm torn i'm just torn i think we've done enough our next priority one message is of a personal nature and it's from jay and it's to ben and adam and it goes like this shelter in place stinks but having new episodes of the greatest generation makes it feel like good friends still drop by my place every week thank you for the much needed belly laughs i can't wait for some in-person pod at the next greatest gen con san francisco my friends and i will be taking you to the best tiki bars in the city all right finally we can go to some tiki bars in San Francisco, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> I've always wanted to do that. Yeah, thank you, Jay. Um, boy, I really hope all this junk is over by the time Sketchfest comes around again. Yeah, I mean, uh, we we have friends involved in the in the Sketchfest festival that we uh, care a lot about. I hope they're yeah. able to do it. I hope everyone with that crew is doing all right we will be back at sketchfest uh should sketchfest be happening but uh who knows i gotta say like i'm i'm keeping my my hopes very very low 
for the next year just because I don't want to be disappointed, you know? Yeah. I'd rather be delighted than disappointed. Yeah. Hope for the best, but prepare for the worst. Yeah. Well, if you'd like to leave a message upon the show, you can do that by going to maximumfun.org slash jumbotron. It's 100 bucks for a personal message and 200 for a commercial message. And uh, we really appreciate it because it helps us cover the cost of making this darn thing. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda! Like one of the other things I read about this episode was how traumatic it was for the writers to confront the idea of Jadzia Dax's departure. A lot of people believe that the Terry Farrell contract situation would be mended uh, sufficiently to to mend the fence and and that she'd return to the show. And I thought that was an interesting bit of trivia. And it also made me wonder uh, if any of the other actors got ideas. Hmm. Because when Bashir wants to go on the mission with Worf, <laughs> like for no reason, like as the third, you never want to be the third. No. You, you never want to be the second to volunteer for a dangerous thing. Like O'Brien already is like going out on his limb to join the mission with Worf. And then Bashir, for some reason, Bashir is like, yeah, why not? I'll go too. What I thought was maybe Alexander Siddig wants out of his contract too. <laughs> and uh, it suddenly made it made this upcoming mission feel very dangerous to yeah. me for Bashir. So uh, Bashir, for wanting to go on this mission with Worf, is going to be my Shimoda. My Shimoda is Joe Sisko. There's a line in this where he says he's going to take his gumbo recipe to his grave. <laughs> he's, he's not going to share it with his son. And, like, the look of chagrin on Ben Sisko's face when he says this is very real. And it it made me think that there's, like, maybe a little bit more spite in Ben and Joe's relationship than I had previously understood, which I think is realistic. Like, like children uh, and of, especially of, like, stubborn and recalcitrant parents like Joe Sisko uh, often have a lot of love that is mixed with a lot of spite mm. and and that spite can go both ways and i thought uh the cisco family has traditionally been such an idyllic family and i liked the introduction of a little texture like that yeah maybe uh they're not over arguing about sarah <laughs> <laughs> gotta get that get that gold press One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. 
Head to squarespace.com scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low-dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry-level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Uh, well, we'll find out in the next episode, Adam, which... Uh, you are going to roll some dice about, and I'm going to read a description of. All right. For the dice part of that, I'm going to go over to gach.biz slash game and consult the game of buttholes. Will of the Prophets. This is going to be season seven, episode two, Shadows and Symbols. Cisco's quest to find a mythical Bajoran orb leads him to unlock the truth about his own existence. Well, Ben, we're currently on square 45, where one square only. <laughs> Ahead of us is a, uh, looks like a Coco Nono square. That's a high odds square, given your rolling traditions. The bad news is a couple of squares past that is another space butthole, which would take us all the way down uh, to a fuck it, we'll do it live. Oh, shit. And, and it would really cripple our chances of ever making it to the Mornhammered Square this season. It really put us behind, but 
Let's see what we get. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. Let's see. Oh, you know what I do, Ben. I, o I only roll ones. I only roll snake eyes. Shit dog. You know where that's put us. It's uh, square 46 in the Coco No-No square. It looks like you and I. Because we have no date for when we can cruise around San Francisco visiting tiki bars, we'll be drinking tiki cocktails from the comfort of our own homes. Man. While doing next I, week's episode. I used up the last of my rum like a week ago. I guess I have some Ocoli How though, so I could uh, I could make some some Coco Nonos with that maybe. I was thinking exactly that. Uh, let's do the Ocoli How. All right. Well, that will be next week on the Greatest Generation. In the meantime, we got some thank yous to give out. We got to thank all the friends of Desoto who support the show at maximumfun.org/join. This is a listener-supported program, and we really appreciate all the folks who uh, take, uh, you know, five or ten bucks a month and throw it our way to support the work we do. If you want to talk to anyone else about what we've done here, uh, hashtag GreatestGen is how you can do that on Twitter. Also, a number of fan groups have been set up on Facebook before eventually having to be set up elsewhere because Facebook isn't a place that anyone should be. It's a bad company, but the GreatestGen group on their website is good. The best part of a bad company is often what I've considered myself. <laughs> uh, we got a, you know what the real best part of a bad company is, is uh, Bill Tilly, who runs the social media accounts. Greatest Trek on Instagram and Twitter. Greatest Trek is where you go to uh, see show posts, and he's also like posting like birthdays of, uh, of actors that have played parts in uh, in star trek no part too minor for for a celebration of that kind i love it honestly like bill is is has really like taken the idea of this is going to be a fun account to follow and run with it it's really really fun what he's doing with it and uh, we really appreciate it of course uh, we met him because he started making comedy trading cards about our episodes online and uh, posting them and he's re retweeting them from the greatest track accounts and uh, they're always a delight highlight of every week we're able to work with bill and pay him because of the support we get for this show from our viewers uh, you can be one of the many friends of desoto by going to maximumfund.org join supporting the show on a monthly basis it's what makes cool things like that possible we also really appreciate Adam Ragusia, who made all the original music for this program, uh, riffing on the work of Dark Materia. Adam Ragusia now has a great YouTube cooking channel. You've heard us talk about it before. Go check it out. It's great. You're going to learn some cool recipes. With that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and an episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine, which is going to be combing the sand. <laughs> We ain't found shit. Make it so. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.